story that most of us are very familiar with. Um, part of that story involves the wise men. And tradition says there were three of them. There were probably a lot more than three. The fact is they gave three gifts, so people talk about three wise men. Uh, but th- that portion of the story is in Matthew chapter 2, and it says this, The star they, the wise men, uh, we don't really know if it, it's kind of a tricky word, the magi, it's kind of a tricky word. It could mean magician, could mean astronomer, mathematician. They were from the east. The wisdom of the east was kind of waning. They were looking for, for, for what was next in the world. And, and because they studied the stars as astronomers from ancient, ancient, ancient times, they noticed one that was special, connected that with Old Testament Hebrew prophecy, that there would come this star that would signify a new king. So there's all this in their background. So they, they saw this star when it rose ahead of them, uh, and they followed it until it stopped over the place where the child was, this little baby. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they knew something was happening. And they saw the event. They didn't want to miss the point, and they knew something significant was happening. Now, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And as part of that worship, part of the, their, their realization that something significant was happening, they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts. And those gifts are gold and frankincense and myrrh. Their travels took them somewhere between 400 to 700 miles. It was a long journey walking and on camel and it was a long arduous journey and notice what guided them to the place where they would go what was it so just kind of read into it they likely traveled when can you imagine traveling at night through foreign countries with great treasures and wealth there are probably a lot more than three A lot more than three. And notice, where did they find the baby? Where does it say? In the house. Where was Jesus born? In a manger. So they weren't there when the shepherds were there. They found the child, not the infant. He was probably around two years old, Jesus was, at this time. It took him a long time to get there. Uh, And so they, they come to this little toddler And they know that this toddler is different. He's in a house. And they present, what did they do when they saw this little little toddler? What did they do? They worshiped him and they gave him gifts. These gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were very expensive gifts. Very expensive gifts. And one might look at that scenario and look at, I mean, you know, I mean, so my little grandson, going to have his first Christmas. I guarantee you, we did not get that little booger gold. You know what I'm saying? You might look at that at, at the extravagance of what they're given and go, that doesn't make any sense. Like that does not make why so much? He's a baby, he's a toddler. It was also very practical. The gifts that they gave. See, what Mary and Joseph didn't know at the moment when they got those gifts is that soon they would find themselves in Egypt. Because King Herod would lose his mind and start this killing of these little baby boys, two years old and younger. 
to help to eradicate the one who was known to be born king of the Jews. See, he was king, but he wasn't king by birth. He was king by murder and espionage. And so soon, Mary and Joseph would find themselves with this little baby in Egypt. And so these gifts that they gave, gold, frankincense, were not only very expensive, they were very, very, very practical. Gift giving is part of the Christmas event. It's part of the Christmas event. But the gifts that we give oftentimes are driven by our worldview. And what I mean by worldview is, is how I view the world and how I view relationships and how I view... It's I either value me or I value you. Two very different worldviews. If I value me, I do good for me. And my energy and my money serves my wants. If I value you, I do what's good for you. And my energy and my money serve your wants. Different worldviews. Do you understand? And so right at the outset, we can start to discern and determine which worldview we live by. Our energy, our money, our, our work... If it serves my wants, it's a very selfish, myopic worldview. If it serves someone else's wants and desires and kingdom, maybe it's a biblical worldview. I believe this stuff. I believe it's real. I believe it's true. I believe it has effect. And, and my worldview informs my decisions. And I want my life to count. I want my energy to count. I want my money to count. So much so, when I was a senior in high school, I just graduated as 18 years old. And I had some men in my life who were involved in a thing called Bill Glass Ministries. Have you ever heard of Bill Glass? It's a defensive end for the Cleveland Browns back in the days when Jim Brown was playing. He was a monster of a man. And after his playing career, he started a ministry in prisons. And they would go into prisons and, and bring professional athletes with them uh, and talk to the inmates about Jesus. And so I had, I was, uh, there were three guys in my life, three older men who had, a part, who had been a part of, of, of the Bill Glass Ministries, and they invited me to go with them to Walla Walla State Pen, Maximum Security Penitentiary. I was 18 years old, fresh out of high school. Did any of you do that when you were 18? I don't mean were imprisoned when you were 18. I mean... Have any of you, since you've been 18, done that? I remember I was 18 years old and walking on the grounds of this prison thinking, what in the world do I have to talk to these fellows about? Can you imagine? 18 years old? But I'm so convinced of this. I'm so convinced 
even from a young age, that I knew that what was here makes a difference and can change a world. And my worldview is that I want my life and my energy and my money, my brain and my emotions, I want it to matter. You understand what I'm saying? Because I believe this, it elicits a response. And for those of you who say you believe it, it should elicit a response that's beyond yourself. Does that make sense? Gift giving is part of what shows love. John 3.16. Most people have heard of that one, right? What's that one say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Wouldn't it be great if we could be like God? I mean, that's our excuse when we mess up, right? Like when we mess up, well, what do you expect? Man, I'm not like I'm Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we could be like God? For one of you, it would be fantastic. Okay. But here's the deal. Listen, I'm going to give you a chance to act like God. You ready? Because God loves so much, He... So you can give without loving. I, I say this all the time. Every April 15th, we do it. Right? But you cannot love without giving. If you say you love me and I don't get your time, if you say you love me, I don't get your affection. You say you love me, I don't get your... Do you know what God's favorite... I talked about this last week a little bit. God's favorite word to say to His kids is what? Do you remember? Yes. No, His favorite word to say to His kids is yes. That's His favorite word. I would love to tell my kids yes to everything they, every time they ask me. I would love to. I'm their dad. My favorite thing to do. And God's favorite word to tell us is yes. Anything we ask according to his will, we have to crawl, we have to beg, we have to plead. We have to say, God, will you, will you, will you, please, please, please. His favorite word to say is yes. And so anything that we ask him according to his will, he's going to say yes to. Now, i got a question for you. If God's favorite word to say to his kids is yes, what's our favorite word to say to God? No. No. Our favorite word to say to God is why. Right? God, how many times have you asked God why? We love asking why. God, why? Why would you? Why did you? Why this? Why that? Some of that gets back to our worldview. If we understand that God loves us so much that He gave, then we can trust the what and not have to ask why. Now, let, let me pick up this story that, that kind of explains both this idea of gift-giving and this why. Mark 14. 
Well, he, Jesus, was in Bethany. It was, a, it was a place where he loved to go. Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. <laughs> That's kind of a rough nickname. I'm going to come back to it. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made from pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you wish to do so. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. Now, actually, Jesus was anointed three different times. Some people will say two. I personally believe it's three. It doesn't really matter. Um, I could preach it either way, but I believe he was pointed three, uh, anointed three different times. In verse 3 of that passage, it says, Simon the leper. Like I said, that's a rough nickname. But th what that means is that he used to have leprosy. They wouldn't be in his home if he still had leprosy. Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the things this tells me is that Jesus and Jesus alone has the power and the authority to do what humans can't do. To heal what is incurable. He has power to do it. It's interesting to me that this guy was known by who he used to be. Have you ever carried a reputation around with you that you wish you could shake, but you just can't? You understand what I'm saying? Why is it that we can't let people become the new creations that they already are in Christ? You know what I'm saying? Let them be new. Let them be the new creation they already are in Him. This poor guy carries around this reputation. I wonder if he was one of the ones who was healed by Jesus. Because there was no cure for this back then. There was no hope. And I just wonder if out of gratitude for what Jesus had done in his life, he wanted to throw Jesus a party. And his giving was an expression of a thank you. As it should be. See, what I know is this, when God steps into a life and does something tangible for you, there's something in you that wants to give back to him in a tangible way, more than just thank you. Now this woman gave what was known as very expensive perfume. And some of those who were present that watched this indignantly said to one another, What's our favorite word to ask? Why? Why? Why this waste? It could have been used. 
What you could have done with that is, a better use of it would be, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I just want you to realize how subtle it is sometimes that we always want to ask why. It could have been used for something better to help the poor. It's a year's worth of money. And Jesus said, hey, back off, man. Why are you hassling her? She's done a beautiful thing. To whom? To me, Jesus says. I want, you to know, I want you to understand something. That when I give, I'm not giving to anybody but Jesus. You need to understand that. We say all the time that when you give at church, you don't give to church. We say it like this. You don't give to us, you give through us. And you give through us for Jesus. It's for Him. And we give to His kingdom stuff through the stuff that He's given us. But this, but you don't do this if you don't have that type of worldview to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus says, the poor you're always going to have with you. And He's not saying don't help them. You shouldn't help them anytime you want. Don't neglect them. You serve them every time you, every chance you get. That's what he says. But you won't always have me. She did what she could. This is what she had at her disposal. This is what she did. And she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare it for my burial. In other words, she had the opportunity in that moment for you to be generous, and she took it. Jesus says, you will have plenty of opportunity to give to others, plenty of opportunity. But there are specific ways, according to Jesus, to show generosity for the gratitude of what he's given us. There are specific ways to do that. And she took advantage of it. And he says, she's done it. This is interesting to me. She's done it to prepare my body for burial. He didn't say she's done it. Pay attention. He didn't say she's prepared my body for death. He didn't say that. He said, she's prepared my body for burial. And this is what we've got to get. If we believe this here, and if we're one of the ones that has said, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I've accepted him as my Savior. If we believe that, we may believe in burial, but we don't believe in death. And she's prepared my body for burial. Why does he got to smell good for burial? Do you know? I don't know why. Because he's got someplace he's headed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I understand the sadness, but there's so much grief in the church about death. And Jesus says, what you see is a death, I see is a burial. And all a burial is, I'm going somewhere else now. Now notice, it was, a very, it was very expensive. That means it was so high they didn't calculate it at the time. They just knew. It's more than a year. It was expensive stuff. This was a huge offering. She didn't pour old spice on him. 
the nard that was poured out on him was from the Himalayan mountains. This was crazy significant. This was crazy expensive. This was a crazy sacrifice. Let me tell you this. Anytime, anytime that you're on the verge of doing something like this, anytime you're on the verge of this type of gift, Anytime you're on the verge of this type of step in faith out of gratitude, it's not going to make sense. If your sacrifice, if your giving, if your act, if your following of God makes sense, it's not this type. If you're watching someone live like this, watching someone have this type of worldview live like this, oftentimes when you see this, you hear stuff like this, our minds want to say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make sense to me, how they can, why they would. See, when our hearts try to act in faith, our mind tries to make sense of it first. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anytime you have felt as though God was leading you to, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. The heart is crying out to do something in faith. And the mind is putting on the brakes saying, wait a minute now. You got some explaining to do. You understand what I'm saying? And oftentimes our minds and our hearts are in conflict with each other. It's a contradiction. And it's interesting to me that the people around her were saying, that don't make any sense. I don't. Be careful of those around you when you feel as though God is saying to you, be careful of being around those people who are going to be around you saying, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I think you need to rethink that. When we want to do something by faith, we want to offer back to God something at truly a sacrificial level. If it's really a sacrifice, you will hear a voice in your head saying, slow down, that does not make sense right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pay attention to this. Matter of fact, I'd go so far as this. If you really want to give a sacrifice, something that is truly a sacrifice, something that truly says, God, out of gratitude for what you did for me, a true sacrifice, you're going to throw up in your mouth a little bit. You're going to be like, really? You will at least second guess it. You'll at least have something inside that says, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can risk. I don't know if I can afford. I don't know if we can do. And that's when you know what you are on is the precipice of a true sacrifice. And so many people at that point back off because they ask, why? 
This type of anointing that Jesus went through actually happened three times. I think three different times in his life. The first was in Luke 7, as recorded for us. The second was in John 12. And in John 12, Jesus was in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Mary anointed Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. And Judas complained about it. And the third anointing is this one in Matthew 26 and also recorded for us in Mark 14 at the home of Simon the leper. This super expensive perfume. But this time it wasn't Judas who complained. It was who? It was all the other disciples. Now I want you to notice something. This account is the third when Jesus was anointed. A couple days before the Passover. And all the disciples complained. Do you know why all the disciples complained? Because it was at the second anointing, before this, two days before this one, where Judas complained. The others didn't say anything. The others didn't have a problem with it. Could it be that at Jesus' second anointing, Judas was the one who had a problem with it? You know why? Because Judas was the tre- he was the treasurer of the group. He held on to the money. And what we know from another account is that he was stealing from the money bag. And so he sees all this money going to Jesus when he wishes it would have gone in the pot because it could have stuffed his pockets more. You understand what I'm saying? Judas complains. The others said nothing about it. Two days later at the third anointing, who's complaining now? All of them. Be very careful about the voices you let in your ears. You understand what I'm saying? Could it be that Judas for two days is kind of talking behind Jesus' back, whispering each other's ears, sending little text messages like, hey man, can you believe this? And for two days, they listened to him. They're like, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, why would we? And so it comes around again to happen. Now they're all complaining. Attitudes often travel through our ears into our hearts. Be very careful who you're listening to. Same thing with doubts. We start listening to the doubts of others and pretty soon our hearts are clouded. Did you ever notice those of you who have felt as though God was saying, I want this for you, I want this from you, I want you to trust me, I want you to step out, I want you to give, I want you to do. When you feel that from God moving you, the moment you start talking to other people, or they start saying, I don't know, man, I got, what about this, what about that, I don't know if you can. And pretty soon your faith gets quiet. I cannot tell you how many times I've had this happen in my life and how many times I've seen it in others. I guarantee you, when I was 18 years old, I got this invitation from a buddy, Rick, who's in heaven now. Asked me to go to a maximum strength pen at 18 years old, two states away. I guarantee you, there were a lot of people saying, I don't know, Carl, you're 18. 18 year olds don't do that. Right? Right? Obviously, you just proved me because none of you had done it. Right? When Shell and I had the chance to um, to be foster parents for Donna and Joe, she was sixteen, he was two. 
There were two people in our lives who affirmed that decision. Us, everybody else, like I don't know, man, why? You think that was the right decision for Shell and I? Dang, Skippy, it was. You know how many times we talked to parents right around Easter time about letting their kids go to Mexico? When the, when, when the U.S. news media starts talking about how dangerous it is in Mexico and how many parents, especially in the early days, are like, I don't know, I don't think it's smart. I don't think you should go down there. How many times I've talked to people, I really feel like God is, is, is leading me to do this, but, but I don't know, i got some doubts, i got some questions, and the more I talk to people, the more they... I'm glad this woman didn't talk to someone else about giving this offering before she gave it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you look at this story, and you think, maybe this woman, maybe she's taking it a little too far. Like, you can love God and not do this. You can love Jesus and not go this far. Like, you can still follow Him, but not follow Him like that. You could do a lot of other things other than that. You don't have to do that. Matthew 26. They were indignant. Why this waste? See, we love to hear yes, but we love to ask why. Think for a moment of the insult of this question. Think for a moment of what an incredible insult this question is. I want to give this to Jesus, and the question is, why waste it? Think about it. Like Jesus is sitting right there. Can you imagine, like as a spouse, buying your spouse some beautiful whatever. I don't know what they would want, but whatever. And sitting around with family and having your extended family say, what, what a waste to give that to her. I mean, you, you men better be ready to throw down at that. You know what they're saying about? Have you ever thought about the insult this was to Christ? In essence, they're saying, what? You're going to give that to He's not worth that. He's not worth that. In essence, it is a waste to give that over to God. That's ridiculous. There's so many implications. God's not worthy of my stuff, is what they're saying. That Jesus has done nothing for me to merit that kind of sacrifice in His honor. That's what they're saying. They're saying that God is incapable of returning it to her with interest. That's what they're saying. Can you imagine the insult? And I wonder how many times you and I have insulted Him the same way. 
wanting to? Nope. The, the question was, why give so much? That is crazy. It doesn't make sense. You could do a lot of other things. The implication is that there are more worthy things than Jesus to give our time and resources to. Hmm. You know where this whole thing took place? Do you remember? A place called what? Do you remember? Bethany. A place called Bethany. The significance of, of, of the place Bethany. Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. If it's the place Lazarus lived, it's also the place Lazarus, if you know the story, died. If it's the place Lazarus died, it's also the place, if you know the story, that ra- Lazarus was raised to life. And at the second anointing at the house of Mary and Martha with G- the, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary offered a, a, a similar offering out of gratitude for what Jesus had done. And at the first anointing, the first time it took place, this woman came weeping before Jesus. And her tears cleaning Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And then she opened this jar and anointed his feet. This woman, the Bible says, was known as a sinner. That's a euphemism for a prostitute. She came and fell at Jesus' feet because of how she had been forgiven and healed and cleansed and accepted by Christ. Here's what I know. Those who give extravagantly are those who experience a changed life. And for those of us who have experienced a changed life by Jesus, we will give extravagantly. And for some of you who have not experienced a changed life by Christ, it won't make sense to you. That is of no concern to me. Do you understand? Do you understand? See, to understand the extravagance, you have to understand the experience. And we've had an experience of God. We don't mind being extravagant. And sometimes the act of extravagance creates the experience. Don't you understand that? Sometimes the act of extravagance creates the experience. Giving is always an act of gratitude for what has already been done. And when we give to God, it's always an act of gratitude for what He has already done. God gives to me, I give the first portion back. And it ought to be a reflection of gratitude and it ought to be a true sacrifice. That makes you feel a little bit uneasy about it. Now, a lot of people say, well, okay then, so how much should I give? Like, what's the rule? Well, I don't like living by rules. But if you want a rule, the biblical rule is 10%. That's the biblical rule. And for some, that is a huge sacrifice. You've never imagined 10%. It takes a lot of faith. And for some of you, that will not make any bit of sense. And you've resisted it your whole life. Like, I'm not, that's ridiculous. What? You understand the implication of what you're saying? And, for, and, and I get it. There's a lot of people in church like, you know what? I don't like rules in the New Testament. We live by grace, not rules. That's fantastic because the New Testament goes way beyond 10%. Consider the three offerings. You know how much a year's wages is? 100%. Right? 
You like the rule of 10%? Fine. The other rule is 100%. I don't guess. I want you to understand that right now in this place, y'all are sitting around some incredibly generous people. You need to understand this. That might not be the person you're sitting right next to, but at least a couple people around you. You're sitting around some incredibly generous people. There aren't many churches as generous as Flipside. I'm going to tell you that right now. I travel all around the world. I know. Did you know that in a ten, the 10 months of this year, just the 10 months of this year, in the 10 months of this year, we've given away $54,000 to church plants in the United States and abroad. Just in 10 months. Now, hold on now. In those same 10 months, to outreach locally and evangelism, we've given away $158,000. Outreach locally, evangelism locally and abroad, and church plants locally and abroad, over $200,000 in 10 months. I'm telling you, there aren't many churches as generous as Flipside. Most churches are asking for money so they can put in fountains and have better coffee. We'll never have a fountain, and our coffee will always be mediocre. Because we give so much money away. Because one of our values is this, irresponsible generosity. That's one of our values. Because other people will think that our generosity is irresponsible. Do you understand what I'm saying? We value that. We value irresponsible generosity. Because God says, look, listen, I'm worthy of it. God says, I will not be in debt to you. He says, you cannot outgive me. God says, let's see who can give more to whom. You to me or me to you. So yes, in the eyes of everybody else, be irresponsibly generous. Because those who have been irresponsibly generous have never gone without. Now next week, Tita's going to be here. And if some of you are thinking, God, he's talking about money? Yeah, I'm talking about money. I'm unashamedly talking about that. One of the best things you can do is get your finances in line biblically for a lot of different reasons. Heck, I'm going to talk on January 5th about if homosexuality and the Bible is compatible. You think I'm worried about talking about money? This is easy. I'm not afraid to talk about any of this stuff. Because we believe that we're channels of resources for God's kingdom. We're just channels of it. We get it, we give it. It just passes through us like, you know, godly diarrhea. I don't know. It just, it just passes through. It just, you know, just goes. And part of, part of our ministry in Guatemala is these academies. In the poorest of the poor, the largest urban slum in Central America, these, the poorest of the poor, they have no social services like we have. And we've gone from two academies to five academies now. We're building the fifth one. And that is the place where these kids get education, medicine, counseling, therapy, biblical instruction, and their parents get parental training. And this fifth academy is going to be built this next year. 
And it's going to cost about $100,000. That's amazing that that's all it costs for their personnel and everything. So let's give it. Let's give it. Last year when she was here for the fourth academy, we came up with about $80,000. You guys were amazing. And so we don't want to do that again because we've already done that. So let's do 100. So from now through January 24th, you plan your giving and you give what you plan. Over and above what you normally do, make yourself throw up in your mouth a little bit. Some of you are planning your giving for 2020. I get that. So on January 1st, you do yours. I think we can do it. And please hear me. I'm not asking you for money for Flipside. I'm not asking you for money for us. We're good. I'm asking of you that you get out your very expensive oil and pour it out. And you ask God, God, how much oil do you want me to pour out? Because I do not believe that it's a waste. Plan it. Give it. Now through December 24th, when we have our Christmas Eve service, we're going to have to take a great big offering. Tita's going to be here next week to talk to us about this ministry. And I'm not going to tell her how much we're going to give. We're just going to surprise her. The first of the year, we're going to surprise her. And if you want an easy way to do this, that's your easy way to do it. See, giving like this is three things. I want you to understand this. It's an act of worship, it's an act of wisdom, and it's an act of witness. Giving is always an act of worship. Giving is a response of love. Like I said, you cannot love without giving. Showing love is worship. When you give, it's always an act of worship for who Jesus is. It's also an act of wisdom. Giving is the wisest thing you can do with your money. It teaches fiscal responsibility. It teaches delayed gratification. It helps you get and stay out of debt. And God promises the return of it. God keeps track of every gift given. The longest chapter in the Bible is a chapter about Scripture. The second longest chapter in the Bible is a chapter about people's giving. God keeps track of every bit of it because He will not be in debt to anybody. It's an act of worship because I love God. It's an act of wisdom. It's the wisest thing I can do. It's the best thing I can do wisely with my money on earth and in eternity. And it's an act of witness. I show my love for Jesus when I give. For whatever reason, you can take it up with God. I'm just saying that God has chosen the litmus test of our faith to be the acts of money that we give. That's what he's chosen. Because he knows the most sensitive nerve in our body is the nerve from our pocketbook to our heart. That's the most sensitive nerve in our body. And we hate it when it gets poked. You understand? 
But it is an act of worship. Here's the deal. I prove to my faith to you when I give. And I prove my trust to God when I give. Man, I'm so proud of you. Come up here, Rick. I am so proud of you. Because you are one of the most generous churches in the world. You need to understand that. And that's one of the things I love about Flipside, that our, our, our worldview is not about us most of the time. Our worldview is how do we leverage what we've been given to help other people. It's coming before this little infant and saying, you are so worthy that I will pour out extravagance on you and your kingdom. You are changing the world because your world has been changed by this baby child Christ. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I guarantee you that this is one of the paramount things that will make Christmas dynamite. I want you to pray with me.